uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, this sermon series has been very timely. It has also been uh, very on target for us. Uh, only God knew that we needed to hear these messages and when we needed to hear them. Uh, we needed to hear these words of hope and comfort for us to refocus uh, the reason that we're here, reason that we have this life, uh, in a time in which it seems that our world has just gone crazy, and it seems to be crazier by the day. Who would have thought all that would have happened in 20 and 20? It's a year for the books, isn't it? As Christ followers, you and I, we have two citizenships that we often don't think about. We are a citizen of this nation, but we are also a citizen of the kingdom. So how do we live out our journey of faith as we long for, as we hope for, eternity? Now that's what we're going to be talking about, what we have been talking about here. How do we represent God in the here and now as we live toward that eternity that is promised? In our sermon series, our first sermon on this, we talked about the primacy of the kingdom of God, basically the sovereignty of God. Uh, it was a very timely message, especially with election just a week from Tuesday. For us to realize that God rules the nations, that God is in control. And because God is in control, because we believe and trust in him, we can exhale because he knows the future. We do our part, but we know he's got it. We followed that with our second sermon, dealing with how the kingdom of God affects us uh, with our family. And then Jonathan last week talked about how the kingdom of God affects the church. Today, we focus on how that... In, for us as citizens of this nation longing for eternity, how do we infiltrate uh, the community? As followers of Jesus, are we making a difference in this community? Can others see the love and outreach that we have? So they will say, oh, those folks at Get Well Church, those who are followers of Christ, uh, they're making a difference. Can they say that? Let's talk about this influence that we have in the kingdom. One of the questions that we ask in our leadership meetings time and time again is this question. If Get Well Church ceased to exist, <clears throat> would the community notice? We hope that it would. We hope that the community would notice that we're no longer here. Uh, that is a question that really doesn't have any uh, way for us to measure, but we would hope that to be so. Uh, we hope that our absence would be noticed. But maybe the more important question that we, you and I, need to ask is this. Let's take it one step further. And the question is this. If I, Bill, cease to exist, would there be a void left in what I personally am doing for the kingdom? Would the sphere of influence that I'm involved in, that I'm invested in, notice my absence? Am I living out what God has called me to do as a kingdom follower? Now the answer to that question gets more serious, doesn't it? When we focus it here. You and I have this one life that we can live for God's kingdom, right? To make a difference here and now. 
It's true. You and I, we can celebrate what God is doing here at Getwell Church. We, we can celebrate that. We can cheer on the church and say, rah, yay, rah, church, way to go. But what about us individually? As citizens of this nation, a resident of this community, more importantly, as a follower of Jesus, how am I living out my followership of Jesus? When all is said is done, when my life is over, have I influenced this world for the kingdom? Maybe this will help in what we're going to be talking about this morning. Take a pool of still, calm water. It's just glass-like. Drop a pebble into that water, and what happens? You see concentric rings just ripple out and out, touching so many different things. That is a hope that we should have for our life. But the truth of the matter is that we are so like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, in Matthew 17 that we make mistakes, we get confused, uh, we have struggles. Today I want us to look at those mistakes that Peter made in Matthew 17 because there are lessons learned for us if we're truly serious about making a difference for God's kingdom. Look with me in Matthew 17. Now it is easy to identify the mistakes and struggles in somebody else's life. But the thing I want us to understand today centers around a single decision, if we're brave enough to make, a single decision that could possibly change your life and change this community if we're bold enough, brave enough to make it. I've often wondered if you and I made this one single decision, if we stepped out of our comfort zone out of our, and be bold for the Lord. What would our community, what would our world be like? Well, let's jump in. Let's see these mistakes that we can identify. It's in Matthew 17, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. But here's what it says. It's from the contemporary English version. It reads, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, with him. So, time out. Let's pause right there. Six days. What was happening six days prior to chapter 17? Well, go back to chapter 16. There you find that there were a group of Pharisees and Sadducees that came up to Jesus. And they were questioning him about how can you authenticate that you are the Messiah? But don't we know there is not a sign. There is not any sign that would be satisfactory for either one of these groups. There's not one miraculous sign that would satisfy them to say that you truly are the Messiah. None of that's acceptable. They wanted a sign. They didn't want a sign. Uh, they just wanted to play the devil's advocate. They just wanted to be a thorn in his side because we know there is not anything that would authenticate his Messiahship for them. If he was not going to play their way, he wasn't going to be the way for anyone. And after that confrontation with the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's with his disciples. And so he asked them, he says, who do people say that I am? 
And they answered and said, Some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, Well, okay. But who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that jumped in. He said, You are the son of the living God. So it is six days after that affirmation of faith by Peter, that confrontation by the Pharisees and Sadducees, that Jesus pulls away to this Mount of Transfiguration on Mount Hermon, where he says, if you have any question about what we just talked about in chapter 16, I want to show you exactly who I am. Because you're going to get a sneak peek. Sneak peek into who I truly am. So let's look at the rest of the story in verse 2. Try to imagine being on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon, when this took place. Verse 2. There in front of the disciples, Jesus was completely changed. His face was shining like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Can you imagine? All at once, Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus. So Peter said to him, to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Verse 5. While Peter was still speaking, the shadow of a bright cloud passed over them, meaning God's Shekinah glory showed up. Again, it's hard to grasp all that's happening here. And from the cloud, this Shekinah glory, a voice, God's voice said, This is my own dear son, and I am pleased with him. Listen to what he says when the disciples heard the voice. They were so afraid that they fell flat on the ground. But Jesus came over, and he touched them. And he said, Get up, don't be afraid. In verse 8, when they opened their eyes, they saw only Jesus. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up this mountain for a sneak peek into the glory and power of who he really was. Simply confirming, removing all doubt about the conversations previously happened in chapter 16. Who do you say that I am? I'm going to show you. Now, folks, it just may be me, but it seems that in these three guys that were up there on the mountain with Jesus, in this event, and all that they witnessed and all that took place, that there wouldn't be any question or any doubt or on their part concerning Jesus' deity or his purpose, a plan that was about to take place in Jerusalem. Such an event will remove all uncertainty or it seems, don't you think? Over and over again, Jesus has been sharing the news that he is going to die. That he would be buried, that he would be raised from the grave. And these guys, the disciples, they just couldn't grasp that. But who could understand such a sacrifice? However, doesn't it make sense that this one event on the mountain would have removed all doubt, all questions about any of that plan? One would, one would think so. 
But we, like Peter, we have the same attitude, the same mistakes, the same struggles uh, that Peter did when it comes to living out our faith. The things that we can see and point to on this mountain. And we got to get serious about it. If we really want to be a difference maker for the kingdom in this one life that God has given us. So let's name a few examples of the struggles and mistakes that Peter made on this mountain. How about this one? The most obvious and what we hear so much about on this mountaintop experience uh, as Christ followers, even as a church, is this. How we just enjoy being with Jesus by ourselves. We are like Peter. Peter said in verse 3, Lord, it is good to be here. Let us build three shelters. It's kind of like coming here in this worship center each Sunday morning and experience what we just experienced. And we get our tank filled up. And we say, it is so good to be with you, Lord. And the problem is we don't take what we have found here out into a hurt and dying world. We're just comfortable. We're content with just our own experience. And we have so many people in our world that are looking at us as Christians and wondering, does it make a difference? Does your journey of faith and your followership of Jesus really make a difference? Because what we're seeing out there is that you're more concerned about yourself. You're more concerned about your experience, about what happens inside the four walls and not what I'm walking through. Because no one is stopping those of you who call yourself Christ followers and asking about sharing a hope. And so we can identify with Peter. Oh, it's so good to be here. Let us just build three shelters. There's another mistake that we also face, that Peter faced. And on this mountain, Peter got to see what the real power of God is like. Think about this. In the 33 years of life, this is the only time that anyone got to see Jesus as a second person of the Trinity. Yes, for the 33 years he walked this earth, he was fully God. He was fully man. But this is the only time that we see in all of Scripture that it's revealed. The second person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The only time. And Peter got to see that revelation of God's power firsthand. And on that mountain, Jesus was glorified. And on that mountain, his face was shining like the sun. And on that mountain, Jesus' countenance was changed before Peter's eyes. And the Shekinah glory of the Lord was moving over that mountain. And they heard the voice of very, uh, very voice of God saying, this is my son. Peter saw the power of God firsthand. Wouldn't that be a game changer for us? Wouldn't it be a game changer for Peter? And there's more to this moment of witnessing God's power. They got to see Elijah. They got to see Moses. And Peter named their names, and he wanted to build shelters to honor all three. But after the disciples fell on their face, it says that Jesus came over and he touched them. And when they looked up, there was only Jesus. 
confirming once again that there is one solo, solitary hero of this book, and it is Jesus. Only Jesus. Folks, there was only Jesus, and Peter saw God's power. You and I, we've seen God's power at work as well. But we, like Peter, we tend to forget who God is and what God has done. But there's another mistake, another struggle that Peter faced on this mountain as well that leads us to this single most important decision that you and I are challenged to make. And here it is. In following Jesus, the real work of those who follow Jesus, the work of Jesus is done in the valley. What does Jesus do in Matthew 17? He leads those three disciples from the mountaintop down into the valley. I think there's more to this leading down the mountain than just a return to the other disciples. I think it's more than just a symbolic return to their friends. Jesus knew and he wanted them to know that the valley is where people are hurting, where they're struggling and in need of hope in a hurting world. Uh, you've seen me, he said, and, and what I can do and who I am. Take that to the valley. We who call ourselves Christians, we have easily pushed this call that God has called us to do of go down into the valley to the side. We've been quick to believe that the most important thing in following Jesus is what we do on the mountaintop. What happens in the walls of the church? It's not so. Jesus leads them down the mountain. That's where my work is to be done, down there. Yes, you get to have your spiritual tank filled here. This is important. We need this. It's necessary. But what do you do with what you've received here? Are you sloshing out from your spiritual tank of what's been filled here, there? Craig Rochelle said it this way in a tweet. He said, the way to true intimacy with God isn't just to enjoy him on the mountain but to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. It's in the valley that ripples out the legacy of the followership of Jesus, recognizing his faithfulness and the power to transform those that are hurting so much. Jesus led Peter, James, and John down the mountain and into the valley, and that takes us to this single life-altering decision that if we are courageous enough to make, that it might change our world, our life, forever. Yeah, the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, it's fine. There's a lot to that story. We get the background. We get the mistakes on the mountain and how we can relate to the needs of those in the valley. But what does it mean for us? What do we do with all this? I believe it comes to this that we are in this valley 
a valley known as DeSoto County. God has ordained you and me to serve the kingdom here. God's brought us to this body of believers known as Getwell Church. We're brought to this valley, a place that you and I love and we call home. Just take a moment and look around this valley, this county. It's like you and I, and we have followed Jesus down into this valley, our own journey, our own story that he has given us, and we can be difference makers for the kingdom. If we peel back the layers in the valley, we find such a broken world, don't we? We sense such a hopeless attitude in our county of many who have no idea where to turn for help. We hear and encounter stories of darkness and even stories of dread of life. Those outside the journey of the Christian faith are asking, does it really matter that you follow Jesus? So what do we do? I think we've got two options. The first option is this. We can turn a blind eye, a deaf ear to what is found in the valley and just quietly decide that we're going to slip back up into the mountain. And I'm going to let that be the legacy of my followership of Jesus. That I just come to church and leave church. And that's what I do. I never change anything in the valley. I'm never involved in anything in the valley. Our second option is this. Do we sense in our spirit a voice, a tug, a calling that prompts us to think? Somebody needs to do something about that. I mean, like Peter, once you've been with Jesus, once you've witnessed his power and understand who he truly is, once we followed him down and he says, okay, Bill, you and me, buddy. Here in this DeSoto County, let's dig in. Those in the valley need what only I can bring. What's our answer? That answer, usually, is that we think, oh, somebody else will take care of that. That answer is for every one of us who define ourselves as a follower of Christ to make can you imagine the impact that it would be if we dropped that stone of our life into the pool of still water and how it would ripple out? You see that uneasiness, that restlessness in your spirit that someone needs to do something can be boiled down to just two words that define what God's spirit is calling each one of us to do. And those two words are holy discontent. The word holy means God-honoring. Discontent means what is wrecking us is wrecking the heart of God. Holy discontent. What wrecks the heart of God wrecks the heart of one who loves God. It's answering the call to the front line of service, to the battle against the darkness, the evil, the hopelessness, that internal knowing that you know because you know that's just not right. An opportunity to bring God's kingdom, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption to a hurting world. God is all about restoration. We ought to be as well.
that churning, that uneasiness, is God's way of asking, what are you going to do about that? In the 60s, I was in elementary school. Cartoons were different than they are today. The cartoon that I used to watch was Popeye the Sailor Man. He won a superhero superhero like we have today. It took a can of spinach for him to gain his strength. But on the whole, Popeye was a pretty easygoing guy. He was laid back. He was hard to get motivated at times. But if you mess with his girlfriend, Olive Oil, then you better watch out. Because he would take a can of spinach. And after that, he would make what was wrong right. But Papa had a statement. A statement that he always said. And he said, that, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. What is your Popeye moment? What is it that you can't stand? Maybe your prompting deals with a brokenness of family. Uh, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. So I'm going to walk with that broken family through a season. Maybe what you can't stand is that single-parent home. And that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. So I'm going to be a big brother, big sister to a child that needs love. Maybe your holy discontent is remembering your childhood Sunday school class and how boring and how dull it was for you each Sunday. And that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. So I'm going to serve in children's ministry to make it different than what I experienced. So they can understand that it's okay to have fun and enjoy being at church and to hear about Jesus. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. In Scripture, David became king of Israel. His father, Jesse, sent him with food to his brothers who were serving in the army of Israel. And when David arrived there, he heard a voice of a giant that was on the opposite side of the valley, desecrating the very name of Almighty God. And he said, What's up with that? That is unacceptable. Will somebody do something about that? And he got no answer. And for David, it was his Popeye moment where he says, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. And he picked up five smooth stones, and he took care of that business. There was Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. He was in uh, exile from the Hebrew nation. He had never seen Jerusalem, but he heard about the walls of Jerusalem that were destroyed. And his Popeye moment, living in the most cushy job that a, a Hebrew slave could live in, in a foreign nation, went to that king. And the king says, what do you need? And he went back to Jerusalem with the very resources from an unbeliever, one who did not believe in Yahweh God, and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days in record time. It was his Popeye moment. I just wonder what it is for you that I, we just can't stand no more. Folks, your goal in life has to be bigger than yourself. 
This world is a better place when bold risk-takers are willing to risk enough to confront their holy discontent. And for what it's worth, in case you might be wondering, one bad day lived in your holy discontent is better than any day you will live outside of it. Let me ask, what might we accomplish together if none of us chose just to live in our own personal spheres, our own personal world? But what could we do together as you and I, you confronting your holy discontent, I confront my holy discontent? Better yet, and what other life are you going to go all out in? We have only one shot in a lasting legacy. You and I have been entrusted to carry God's message of hope to an aching, fractured world. Let us refuse to rest until my role, your role, God's calling our li- on our lives is fulfilled. Holy discontent in this valley, God has called us to infiltrate. We might assume that other peoples are brighter, more gifted, more talented than we are. It's easy to opt out and believe that holy discontent is for someone else, and that's a straight lie from hell. We look at David and Nehemiah's examples, and we say, oh, we can't be like them. They're in the Bible. Well, let me tell you some stories about get well people who would say to you, we're not like them either, but we made a decision to step into the holy discontent that God stirred our soul. Take, for example, Bob. Several years ago, Bob's son was addicted to drugs. And Bob looked throughout this valley, this community, to find help and assistance of a recovery group. And none was found, and Bob railed against God. God, why is it that way? Why can't we have a recovery group here? Why no help? And God said to Bob, why don't you do something? It was his Popeye moment. And it gave birth to celebrate recovery on Tuesday nights. One of the largest and most effective recovery groups in our state. Holy discontent. There's Sandra, Rob, Don. Led by Sandra, God put it on her heart to teach the Bible in Marshall County Correctional Center in Holly Springs. Stirred by holy discontent, uh, that ministry was born. Lives were changed. There's a freedom found that God's word, even behind prison uh, bars, it gives freedom. There's Bruce and Marvin and Hunter. uh, Seeing the ministry that was happening in women's ministry, they said, what about men's ministry? What can we provide? And so hour after hour after hour, they had devoted trying to develop a men's ministry in order for men to grow spiritually just as women. There's Becky. Hearing many people in this church say, I want to read and know the Bible and the redemption story. And Becky, prompted by God, said, That's all I can stand. 
And in a single afternoon, as fast as she could write, God led her to develop the discipleship programs that have affected so many people in this church, but also in other churches and around this community. It was her Popeye moment. There's John and Karen. John being an ordained minister, effective in the pulpit, and leading churches, God prompted John and Karen to begin to pray about an outreach program to a trailer park in Olive Branch, to love on people that could easily be overlooked. And with boldness and courage, John and Karen stepped away from the security of a local church ministry into uncertain ministry that brings hope in the name of Jesus. Holy discontent. There's David and Kim. Kim looked at her current family and then around her fine, large, fancy home. She will tell you that. Her papa moment was to say, there's room for a foster child. There's room for us, for that child to come and live with us and experience love here. And that foster parenting opportunity of theirs led to an adoption and adding one more precious child to a home to be loved and cared for. Something every child deserves. It was all they could stand. There's Joe. Joe, in his holy discontent, was to walk the streets of Memphis, do it at night, reach out to a people living under bridges and on the streets, to learn their names, to establish a relationship, to share a word of good news, of light in a dark, uncertain world. And there's Jessica. Jessica toured a ministry known as Life Choices, a ministry we support. That ministry gives an alternative for life to the unborn. It's a ministry that comes along the side of a woman who sees as her only hope of survival, of terminating a pregnancy. Jessica's Papa moment was to be a voice for the unborn, but a voice to another female and saying, Sister, you're not alone. I'm here for you. Folks in the valley, this world is wondering, would darkness and evil prevail? Will oppressors always rule? Will terrorists keep wreaking havoc? Does it have to end like this? Those people in the valley who whisper those questions, they deserve our very best in response. If I believe anything, I believe this, that it's in Christ, through Christ, and because of Christ, it does not have to end like this. On your sermon outline, there's a question that I want you to wrestle with. The question deals with your Popeye moment. You can recognize it, and you can walk by it, or you can name it and claim it, and just see what the Lord's going to do in and through you. If you opt out, you will miss the most important opportunity of your earthly existence for you to be an unstoppable force in this world. Two citizenships. Let the pebble of your life drop into the pool of water before you. And let's see what God's going to do.
this valley needs what he brings through us. Will you pray with me? Forgive us, Lord. We're more interested in programs than we are in restoration. Forgive us where we are more interested in our own personal journey than holding hands with one that desperately needs you. Forgive us, Lord, for being a church so oftentimes, and I'm talking about a big C church, not this local church, that is more willing to hide the light under a bushel basket and not be a light on a hill. Lord, move us. Change us. Give us a restlessness within that will not be satisfied until we say yes to you. It's in the sweet name of Jesus that I pray. And the people of Getwell said, Stand. Altar rails are open. Time of being with your Savior, your Father is here. Be with others. Let's just see what God's going to do this valley that we love, known as DeSoto County, as we respond. Let's sing together.